It's Nick here, and you're listening to TFUV 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from the traditional territories of the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Husanich people. Hola, mi nombre es Matilde Cervantes Navarrete. Hi, my name is Matilde Cervantes Navarrete, and I am a doctoral student at the University of Victoria. I'm the producer of Beyond the Jargon of season number nine, and today I'm also going to be your host. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Hello, Maddie. I am very well today. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Lindsay, I know you. Many people know you, Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe others who are listening are wondering, well, who is Lindsay? I know you are a grad student, a PhD student here at UVic. But you are so many other things. You have so many other roles and you have been contributing so much to community. Mm-hmm. But uh, would you like to self-introduce? Sure, sure. Uh, before we, we begin, I just want to acknowledge the, the Lekwungen peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. I've been a very grateful visitor and a guest here on Lekwungen territory for going on 18 years. This August 7th will be 18 years that I've been in the province of British Columbia and then... 15 years here on the island. Um, so I just want to, you know, place myself here in terms of how long I've been here. Um, but what my English name is Lindsay Delarond. I am Ganyakahaga from Gahnawage, which is located in the province of Quebec, about 20 minutes outside of Montreal, where I was born and raised. Grew up on reserve with my family, my community, my culture and then left 18 years ago to come to British Columbia. And I went to the Vancouver um, Emily Carr Institute of Art and Design, and then eventually came to the island in 2007 and started my MFA here at the University of Victoria. So that's where my journey here at the university uh, started, was back in 2008. I know you have also many credentials. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are one of those... uh, that like to study a lot. and It's interesting because I think that <clears throat> the umbilical cord of that connection to education has really been with me my whole life. Like I remember growing up um, in Ganawage, even loving education. I remember my report cards always being very positive and I just always found a, a safety with, with teachers and being in school and having new art supplies and like, I don't know, all those kind of particulars really came into the way that I framed what education is. And I guess being a young person back then, it was really about freedom, freedom, individuality, potential, um, and gravitating towards being an artist uh, at a very young age as well. And even knowing as a young person and growing up in Gadawage, uh, because I watched my uncle Ryan Rice, who is also a really established Indigenous curator in Canada, I watched him travel a lot. Um, I used to look at his art supplies and his art books. And so these really fundamental memories of what artist is and creativity and education uh, really kind of instilled the understanding of this kind of lifestyle 
um, of being an artist. So I really kind of stayed in education. That was my route. That was the the line and the thread that really kept the discipline, the commitment. Um, you know, I'm not the greatest student in a lot of ways, but I'm also uh, the type of person that needs some structure around me and some grounding so I can actually, you know, manifest these ideas and manifest these these desires. So being in the context of our education, um, our institution, uh, and then now, you know, teaching in the institution are all sort of uh, threads from the same pile. They really, they really are about, you know, living a creative life, living a creative way of life, um, being curious and caring about uh, other people's creative life and what they think and how they think and so there's a really sort of blend of the psychology counseling spirituality the healing power of the arts as well as you know just the materiality of being an artist and the diversity of arts that are exposed to us singing drumming dancing textile work silkscreen printing painting drawing sculptor I mean that's that's the life for me Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just can, I just listening to you and I'm just, um, truly admire you and you are full of surprises, like good surprises. I'm so, um, so lucky to, uh, be your friend and to have been close to your work and to see your, how you are evolving and always keeping that, um, commitment with community. Mm. It's interesting, I think, to this continuation on with the with the PhD, um, because primarily my my all my undergrad is in fine arts, my master's is is in fine arts, but there was this trajectory of my uh, personal growth and my spiritual growth that was happening outside of education, and it was really about. Um, having a strong desire to to be in the healing field, the counseling field, the psychology field. And so I did a second master's degree in the Indigenous Communities Counseling Program, psychology program. I did fundamentally want to be an art therapist. Um, and so I took the, the program of the Indigenous Communities Counseling Psychology Program to really sort of give me the, the, those fundamental counseling skills, how to work um, with PTSD, trauma, um, you know, as we unpack our histories as Indigenous peoples, we recognize that there are many spaces that are needed um, to be able to process, to be able to integrate, to be able to, you know, make those connections of... Um, who we are today and make those connections to where we come from and those origin stories are really powerful. So using art as a means to really investigate, to be curious, to, um, you know, sift through the, the piles that we are all given in, in this life, you know, that art and spirituality and healing has become a real cyclone of power. And so coming into the PhD program was a real shift for me because um, when I began the Indigenous Artists in Residence program for the city of Victoria back in 2017, they had asked me the question, well, how are you going to approach civic engagement? And I was really always fascinated by the Indigenous um, performance artists here in Canada, Rebecca Belmore, um, you know, James Luna, 
um, you know, Peter Morin. I mean, this type of work that was happening in the 90s and the early two, 2000s in terms of implementing our bodies as, as a way of a, a political action, as a way to uh, use our bodies, um, activate our embodied story work. The body became very centralized in my practice. Um, and so when I started the artist in residency program, I thought performance theater was going to be the medium uh, to really engage community and engage people. And so that was where I dropped really into this idea of indigenous theater work. And so the trajectory that that took me on, you know, created lots of different various collaborations, uh, you know, more nuances of my practice started to unfold, uh, started to take dance classes, more movement-based classes, um, and then really the relationship with the land, Mother Earth, you know, and that connection to our bodies, to place, um, and the stories of the land, the stories that hold the land. So from 2017 to th 2020, in that three years, there was a lot of learning, a lot of collaboration, a lot of co-creation, uh, how to develop a collaborative practice that have really strong values that keep people together, learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, but also, you know, did what I had to do to make the, the corrections as well. And so when I applied for my PhD, I was really ready to be in the field of theater and they accepted me. So I started in 2020 and I just started to really understand some of the theater theory, what theater from a Western colonial lens and where I was as an indigenous theater maker and really balancing those two ways of making. Sometimes they parallel, sometimes they integrate, sometimes they conflict, but also all of that is very relevant. And so the more that I'm able to really engage with the work, engage with the community, the performance, the theory, I'm able to really handle and move through these situations of um, you know different practices that intersect. And so I think trying to develop sort of an eagle view of looking at this is the, the field and, and where am I in this field. So it's a process. I don't know how theater at Juvik, it's um, how many indigenous students they have. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I suspect that not many. <clears throat> and so I'm wondering how have you navigated those maybe kind of challenges from, from the Ubik Theater. And I know they are willing to learn mm -hmm. and they are open to, to integrate more um, indigenous knowledges or other ways of being and knowing. Um, however, it could be challenging, especially for people who is first. Mm. And um, I don't know if you have any comments regarding that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that the... the you know, decolonization, reconciliation, education, the impact of the TRC and how that really pushed our education system to really start decolonizing, implementing the teachings of the Indian Residential School, making it mandatory that our teachers in BC take an Indigenous education course, uh, the movement of um, Indigenous radicalism within the institution, indigenous governance program, indigenous education. I mean, there's a growth, there's, there's a history there. So we can't talk about these things in isolation. And so when I see the decades, you know, especially in the last 20 years, 
you know, it's placing myself within that trajectory is really important too. And when I was doing my MFA here at the University of Victoria, I was I was not the only Indigenous student actually in the program. There was another Ethan, his name was, and together we were we were both there. But uh, you know, his work didn't, you know. Um, you know, overtly speak indigeneity. He worked with a lot of like forms and organic forms and organic materials. Whereas me, I was really working with a lot of archive black and white photography, old images of, of indigenous people, um, you know, identity stuff, cultural knowledge stuff. That's the stuff that I really was um, amplifying in my work back then. And I think, you know, you know, it's interesting because even it, it's different. I find myself when I'm in an Indigenous program specifically, like the Indigenous Communities uh, Counseling Program, and you're with all Indigenous people, you have Indigenous faculty, um, there are some settler, you know, um, students within, within those circles, and it's really beautiful how those professors navigate that. And, and so I've had really positive experiences as an Indigenous student at the University of Victoria in Indigenous-specific programs. I think there's always, you know, reflection, there's always debrief. Um, you know, that program that I was part of was the only second cohort that ever ran in the university and the last one to run. It hasn't run after we had graduated in 2016. So, you know, I think there's a lot of push, again, to, to sustain these programs. I think there has to be a stronger push to sustain these programs. Um, you know, like I said, Indigenous uh, governance and Indigenous education. I mean, you are working right with the people, the community. The methodologies, the pedagogies are all really centralized in Indigenous ways of knowing and being. The facilitators, the guest speakers, the relationship to the local nations are very strong in terms of the protocols that these programs uh, work under and through and with. So that's sort of the posit positive reflection in terms of that. And, and then there's also the, the places of challenging, you know, Indigenous education, Indigenous governance. And really, I think as Indigenous students, for myself, it's really about grounding in my own Indigeneity. And so sometimes these uh, generalized narratives of what Indigeneity means, how does it, you know, manifest itself in terms of the context of the education system. Um, for me, it's always about going back and thinking more deeply about who I am as a Ganyakahaga person. And so when I think of Indigenous governance, I think of the great law of peace. I think of the peacemaker story. I think of our creation story. And so I'm trying to move away in my research right now out of these generalized kind of overarching themes of indigeneity and really coming into some very specifics of my origins. And I think really grounding that within my PhD is extremely important. And so coming from, again, these sort of macro ideas and conceptualizing around what Indigenous means within the academy, and then kind of now coming down to a very interpersonal reflection. You know, uh, my future project, my future theater project is with my community of Kahnawake, going back home, you know? And so that's what I really love about Indigenous education within the context of the university. It brings you home. Mm -hmm. And it's a very challenging process 
you know, and I think the self-location as a methodology that we use really pushes settler students to also do the same. The reconciliation education about learning about the difficult history of Canada is also an emotional layer of the work and these intersections of what education means from a colonial perspective, from an Indigenous perspective. And so, like I said, sometimes they parallel, sometimes they conflict, sometimes they challenge one another. And so right now I'm trying to challenge myself to really come into some some uh, some knowledge systems from my own origins. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing that. Well, I, um, I'm really um, surprised of the braveness that you need to have in order to have that kind of internal work with yourself, right? Like that intrapersonal and then interpersonal um deep in every relationship but starting with the relationship with yourself mm. and that's something that not everyone is willing to do exactly. um, it can be scary mm -hmm. indeed and all the emotional layers uh, that can be in that process so mm -hmm. it's a it's a very brave um, act of radical love <coughs> and and especially um, linked it to the work you are doing for your own research mm -hmm. and then it becomes personal right but also it's part of your academic journey and so keep it that balance I guess it's interesting and so what's your PhD uh, research about your, yeah. your own research Can yeah. you talk about it and so the last two and a half years I've been learning lots about applied theater socially engaged theater theater theory Um, and a lot of research methodologies courses to prepare you for your own research. And so my PhD is in the field of applied theater, but it really sort of bleeds through performance theory, performance studies as well. Um, and so the research that is sort of impacting me right now and the articles that are impacting me now are really about how to transform ourselves through our embodied story work. How do we use dance? How do we use the land to build choreography? I mean, that's sort of like the journey here. It's creating sort of a framework of how to use applied theater um, and indigenous theater practices and methodologies. How do those two sort of fields come together? How do I uh, contribute to the field of applied theater? Because applied theater is in its origins is only roughly about 30 years old. It emerged out of, you know, um, theater of the oppressed, Um, which was Augusto Boal's work in Brazil, uh, Theater for Development, Prison Theater, Verbatim Theater, um, you know, Theater and Education. So there's all these small branches of theater that kind of started to have nothing to do with the performing arts and the stage. And so back 30 years ago, they realized that, you know, theater and using the body, uh, drama is a way that we could actually help people. So this field of applied theater started to start infiltrating into those very small cracks of society and places and spaces like prisons, you know, mental institutions, rehabilitation centers, um, you know, old age homes. So bringing theater to the community. Mm -hmm. You know, we're applying theater in all of these various contexts that either don't have access, that we're working with marginalized and silenced voices where we don't see that represented on the main stage, um, uh, really about counteracting some of the dominant narratives that continue to per perpetuate white supremacy and white domination of our 
understanding of history and human beings. And so these um, sub-genres of theater are really about amplifying the voices of the silenced. And, you know, this is really aligned, I think, with Indigenous radical movements, um, Indigenous movements, BIPOC movements of proper representation, uh, appropriate representation, um, being able to self-represent yourself and your story. A lot of times, you know, researcher and research takes stories, takes things from cultural knowledge systems, um, you know, cultural uh, appropriation, you know, problematics with ethnography, uh, long-term field study of the white gaze upon cultural people. And not to say that, you know, white people don't have culture because that's not what I'm saying. That's really what I try to amplify in my workshops when I work with settlers is that you have culture. There is culture there, you know, and so... I think it's really about working in a way that really is about expansion. You know, the more expansive that we could be within our knowledge systems, the more that we have these uh, healthy boundaried ways of um, bringing in many knowledge systems, really about creating a constellation of knowledge, uh, shared language, a shared understanding of either the theme or the issue or the social injustice that we're working with. And it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, BIPOC communities, and I would like to ask how do you see those intersections or linkages between um, Indigenous uh, peoples and, and BIPOC mm-hmm. peoples, yeah. Well, although there, you know, there's differences in the way that we've been impacted by colonization, you know, there's a shared understanding as well. And those so those similarities is ways that we could connect. And so sometimes the BIPOC is sort of one acronym, but there's also differences within our cultures and in our histories and in the way that we've been impacted by colonization. And so for me as an Indigenous facilitator, artist, um, you know, I try to break my own uh, boundaried way of looking at Indigeneity. Again, you know, when we say Indigenous here in Canada, that means the First Nations, Métis and Inuit people of these lands. But it also doesn't include people Indigenous from the Caribbean, Indigenous from the mountains of Mexico, uh, Indigenous from, uh, you know, a place in Peru. And so those are some of the things that I have to always constantly be balancing, you know, the perception of um, a black person coming into, you know, the creative atmosphere will have a very different narrative than, you know, someone from Asia coming in, someone from income from Brazil is coming from. And so, um, You know, it's really about creating, I think, that intercultural harmony. You know, even though we have all of these differences and these threads that are coming, we're weaving a tapestry of understanding here in Canada. This is the context that we're all living in. It's intercultural. It's multicultural. And so I try to stay away from, um, you know, equality being sameness. You know, to be equal, we don't have to be the same, Mm -hmm. right? We don't have to be the same. I can be different from you and always and still be equal to you. Yeah, like I call it like unity in diversity, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and uh, Lindsay, um, would you like to, I know we kind of jump up on other stuff around your research, which Mm -hmm. sounds great, and I'm not surprised that you want to innovate. It -hmm. sounds to me that you want also to, contribute to the applied theater field 
and maybe come up with some new ideas mm -hmm. uh, in the co-creation process with your own community and others participating in your research. Um, yeah, because the way I see research is also, especially in the approach that you are taking, it's more this co-creation mm -hmm. and or maybe um, just observing and documenting the knowledge that already exists, but how can we put it together and come up with something and co-create something And, and I think we call it innovation, but, but mm -hmm. maybe it's already there and mm. we just need to put it uh, in, the, in the books and, and right. give that validation right. in the academia, right? Uh, but yeah, it's quite a process. And, and I'm, as I'm saying, I'm not surprised of you being brave to kind of mm. um, not uh, being satisfied with the standards, trying mm -hmm. to kind of like, hey... I want to go beyond that, right? Right, right. And that's what I'm hearing. I don't know if I'm right, but um, you are always going beyond things and the mm -hmm. evident, like there is more over there. I, I, and I, thank you for saying that. You know, I think it's really about learning how to, to be observant, you know, and bringing the present body to the present moment because that's where innovation lives. It doesn't live in the past. It doesn't live in the future. You have to be able to really um, create a vessel Our, our sacred bodies are the vessel, you know, it's activated through the senses. We're sensing beings, you know, and we lose our senses when we have trauma, when we have um, PTSD, when we have uh, difficult histories that being present is very difficult. So that's why it's like I try to really balance the history, the intergenerational impacts use the art to be able to get into the present moment you know it's like relationships or anything in terms of intimacy love peace or even moving through conflict in a good way you have to be present you have to be able to hold your body hold your trigger to be able to release that trigger in in ways that are positive in ways that are 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 shifting And so art for me isn't just about making art. Art for, for me is about learning how to be a human being, you know. And when we utilize the, and we revitalize cultural knowledge systems that embedded within those are ways of ethics and conduct. You know, that's what for me the most, the, one of the things that has really come to the surface through learning about Indian residential schools and the eradication of our culture. It's because the culture held the ethics and the ways of being and how to be a good human being. Mm -hmm. And when that was eradicated and severed and disconnected, we forgot how to be the human mm -hmm. beings. And I know there is a concept, a big one, um, peace mm -hmm. in your interest, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you want to integrate this big concept of peace mm -hmm. into your own research and work? Well, again, I think, you know, starting from the I, the personal... You know, being able to really create, uh, cultivate atmospheres and relationships where we could even start exploring that. You know, I think there's millions of different ways that human beings are offered every single day to be able to self-reflect and look, really look at how we behave, how we act, why we do the things that we do. Again, it's just my you know, interest in psychology and counseling, but it's also the mirror that we build within how we see ourselves. You know, I think that's where the first place of business is really calming the storm within, within, 
And that takes a commitment and a responsibility and a desire to want to do that. And usually it also is motivated by a lot of pain too, because we are patterned habitual human beings that run up into the same blockages and the same barriers. And we need those moments and again, those relationships to be able to really process how we're experiencing things like peace or unrest or war or conflict. Mm -hmm. And so I think peace is fleeting. It's not a state of mind and body that I uh, that I'm able to hold for long periods of time, but making decisions in my life that are about maintaining that peace. I think a lot of our treaties and a lot of negotiations and relations as Indigenous people with Canadians and other nations of the world, uh, we have a lot of peace binding negotiations and these peace relationships that we've established through hundreds of years. But how are we really honoring those peace treaties? How are we really going back into you know, these concepts of the two-row wampum where, you know, we have parallel ships and canoes that are in the same river that never cross paths. And when one person needs uh, support and help, you know, we call it the covenant chain, the friendship chain, and it shakes and it impacts and it lets the other canoe or ship know that you need help because we still have to work towards coexistence. And part of that is about maintaining peace, moving towards peace, um, understanding if we want peace or not, you know, um, and understanding if we want peace or not is, again, understanding ourselves and our needs and what we need, not just as a personal, um, isolated being, you know, sovereignty moves outside of the self as well. And there's collective sovereignty, there's collective agency, there's collective self-determination. And so all of these communities that are shifting and growing and challenging and pushing up against each other from the arts community to the history community, the law, I mean, there's so many disciplines on, on this campus. But I think that, again, when we really bring it up into this constellation, that every orbit and every galaxy of knowledge systems is valuable and has um, a place, I think we remove the binary of the us and the them, the indigenous and non-indigenous. Mm. Um, my goal with my research is to frame everything, everything, in the backdrop of beauty. I am no longer willing as an indigenous student to frame my existence in the backdrop of colonization. And that's a big undertaking for me because we've been so much in this institution, you know, with the scholarly work, the articles, the texts that we read, it's always in this backdrop of a resistance, a resurgence, a decolonization, impact of colonization. And, you know, I think being influenced um, by, by that hard contrast has really shifted me towards wanting just to be an, a beautiful indigenous person with culture and knowledge to share that is from love, kindness, and my PhD might seem really fluffy <laughs> because of that, but I'm also not willing to contribute to uh, the victimization of indigenous identities. And I know we are more than that. And we are powerful, powerful beings. And that's what my research is hoping to achieve. Yeah, right. And I want to celebrate that uh, beauty with you now and later. Mm -hmm. And talking about good news and celebration of beauty, 
Um, would you like to share about the good news of mm -hmm. your new position? And then maybe also let us know where we can connect with you mm -hmm. uh, for people who is listening uh, across campus and beyond, and maybe they will like to connect with you. Um, yeah. So uh, I think about 10 years ago, the there was an outside funder, Michael Audain, his name is. He's an older gentleman. I just found out he's still alive. So if you're out there listening, thank you, Michael Audain. Um, there was um, resources that went specifically to the fine arts or visual arts uh, department uh, with the focus of hope of amplifying Northwest Pacific coastal art. And so this position that was creating is, ca is called the Audain uh, Professor. And so this Audain Professor has had many different sort of phases in how it's looked. Um, you know, there was a high emphasis on making sure that the professor was a Northwest Coast artist, uh, hence a carver form line, um, that traditional way of making. And then every professor that has had this role has shifted it and changed it and it's grown. It used to be a one-year term that uh, visiting artists would come from different places. Uh, Nicholas Galini had the position, Jackson Two Bears, Rebecca Balmore, Randy Cook, and then just recently Carrie Newman has been the ordained for the last th three years. So they changed the term from a one-year to a three-year term. So I applied three years ago and tried to get the ordained professor. Um, and so at the time, the, the fit was to have Carrie there. And I think that was a really good decision on, on that they made. And maybe I wasn't quite ready back then. You know, I had a lot of, like I said, learning around the indigenous theater work and really grounding it in that field. And so I applied again for the second time this year, and they accepted me as the new Audain professor starting July 1st. And really just about, you know, promoting and creating Indigenous courses, you know, having the freedom to create Indigenous syllabuses that really reflect my facilitation, my teaching, my learning with the integration of the visual arts, the studio-based arts, and even the performative practice now too. And so my position as the Audain professor is about being a professor in the visual arts department. And so alongside of that, there's painting, drawing, sculpture, media arts. Um, they really help cultivate um, the creative work for students. And so I'll be one of those professors there that are really about teaching and learning and supporting students. Um, and really about, I think, amplifying everything I was mentioning around, you know, ecology and art, earth art, uh, using the body, uh, really getting out of the conceptual and theoretical approaches to creating work, um, and really getting into the body and the land and the heart. And that's what I hope to offer for students. Well, congratulations. Uh, that sounds like a great, great program, great opportunity, and they are lucky to have you. So thank you, Lindsay. This of has course. been wonderful. How people can connect with you? Like, mm -hmm. is there an email, a website, or maybe an office where they can reach out yep. to you? Yep. So now that I'm the Audain professor at a visual arts department, I have an office there um, upstairs on the second floor. You could come find me um, in one of the, the, the offices up there. And my email is lindsay6 at uvic.ca. So that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, the number six at uvic.ca. 
And I'm available. I'm here um, to really just, you know, continue to support where I can. And I think part of the leadership ethics that I work under are if I can't help you, I will try to help somebody to help you because we all have limitations and boundaries that you know the things that we can and cannot do and I think as artists we're always in this sort of dilemma of you know are we contributing to change are we really changing and shifting things you know what is social political uh, implications mean as artists you know but I think as we start to really cultivate relationships really that kinship the relationship the expansion um, we could find some deep meaningful connections within this university because I've been part of them and I've seen them and I know that they're true and can happen wow Thank you. Beautiful you, beautiful words, beautiful presence you have. And let's keep celebrating that beauty, as you say. Yeah. I'm going to keep that on mind because mm. I think we all need to remind it, uh, ourselves, ourselves uh, to celebrate our beauty um, in the face of many challenges and mm -hmm. hardships. But it is important to recognize those uh, efforts and to celebrate those um, achievements as well. Music in this episode by Keep Calm with the title One Fine Day. Thank you to our guest, Lindsay Delaronde. You can find out more about her work in the show notes. Likewise, you can find a link to register to the upcoming Indigenous Theatre Festival at the Finnish Theatre here at Juvik. This podcast was produced by CFUV with financial support from the University of Victoria's Graduate Student Society and their members. CFUV is a non-profit radio station broadcasting from the University of Victoria campus on the traditional, unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Saanich and Lekwungen's peoples. Visit cfubpodcast.com or search for CFUV wherever you get your podcast for more homegrown, cutting-edge content.